0: I'm Michelle Barrett, and on this episode of the INS Podcast, we're going to be talking about the topic of second victims of infusion therapy-related adverse events. I had the pleasure of chatting with two experts in the field that actually have conducted and continue to conduct research into how adverse events affect the staff that is involved in these events. We'll start with introductions. Enjoy the podcast.
1: This is Linda Treiber. I'm a professor of sociology in the sociology and criminal justice department, but I'm also a registered nurse and have been one since 1983. I teach classes here at Kennesaw in medical sociology, and I also do research on nurses who've
2: made mistakes. Dr. Jackie Jones, I am a professor of nursing at Kennesaw State University. I've been at Kennesaw for about 10 years. I've been researching with Dr. Treiber about 10 years nursing medication errors and the second victim phenomenon.
0: Very interesting. I did notice there um some articles that the two of you have done in the past and it's very very interesting to look into this a little further and it it uh, doesn't involve just infusion therapy, but from what I understand Infusion therapy medication error rates are probably higher than most anything else, and when they do occur, they can be more severe.
1: Right. IV errors are higher risk, they're more severe, and because they're more severe, uh, there's obviously a higher chance of of death or damage to the the first victim, the patient, but then because that happens, uh, the second victim where the, the provider that made the mistake feels
2: responsible The risk for that is higher as well.
0: What kind of um, errors do we see?
2: It can be any kind. It can be uh, the wrong medication. It can be uh, the wrong dosage of medication where perhaps the calculation was done wrong. And um, they gave too much medication, uh, too little medication. It can be uh, severe infiltration that damages tissue. Mm -hmm. Really, it, it can involve many different types of events.
0: How are the errors made? Is it um, somebody just picking up the wrong medication? Lack of attention? How how do we make these these errors?
2: I would say you know there, there's a lot of systemic problems in healthcare today. Uh, nursing environments can be pretty chaotic. There can be a lot of distractions, and every single distraction has been found to increase the likelihood of making an error uh, by as much as 25, uh, uh, and that's an approximate percent. Mm-hmm um there are sometimes the pixis machine has been found to be stopped inappropriately and mm-hmm. the nurses didn't scrutinize they they become dependent on the technology there have been times when the scanning machine hasn't worked well with a particular type of iv fluid or or a bag so i mean again many things do happen and we we want to emphasize that the second victim we're talking about they're well-intended conscientious they're not someone who is just very lackadaisical about it, trying to do the right thing. And uh, that's probably why they become second victims, because they're devastated by what has happened.
0: I think I see what you're saying. It's like, I really know I'm doing the right thing, and I really tried to do the right thing, and, oh, my gosh, this mistake happened.
1: Right, and that's part of the reason it's so devastating, because these are people who are they're altruistic, they're trying to help, and sometimes mistakes are made because they're actually trying to help another nurse. So the the nurse may say, you know, my patient they're in pain, can you go ahead and give them something for it, not realizing that that may they may have already been medicated or they mm-hmm. they're trying to help out in a in a code situation. We've seen quite a few mm-hmm. infusion errors in an emergency situation like that. Or, you know, it's just trying to jump the gun to help people feel better sooner, overriding a Pyxis machine, that
0: kind of a, an error.
1: So a lot of it is is driven by the desire to help and be a, a helpful, a good nurse, if you will.
0: Okay. So, and it, it doesn't involve just nurses, but with the infusion therapy and being the nurse, you're going to see that. But it also involves other um, practitioners as well, correct? that become second victims?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, the whole concept of second victims was first applied to physicians by Dr. Albert Wu. So he basically sort of set that standard by talking about a a physician who would made a a cardiac error in practice, and then this physician was shamed and ostracized, and so then he looked at that as a a phenomenon where not only the the patient was a victim, but the physician became a victim as well.
0: Um, how, how do you know or how can a colleague or how do I know myself, okay, I've made a mistake, and how do I know I've become that victim? I, I think you said something about just feeling completely devastated.
2: Yeah. The the research that Linda and I have done have tried to find out how did you feel. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, words that are commonly used are devastated, guilty, ashamed, afraid, terrified. Um, they use all those, those types. Words. Uh, the second victim phenomenon has been likened to post-traumatic stress syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, and all the things that a person feels. And these are emotions that oftentimes don't go away. And they actually don't. They're, there's probably some correlation, but it's not really dependent on the fact that patient injury occurred. It, it's the possibility that they they okay. uh, caused injury.
0: Okay. That kind of makes sense, too, in the fact that you were that close, I could have caused. So what can we do if we see someone that seems to be struggling with this? Are we even going to know?
1: That's a really good question because sometimes it's not really openly stated after Mm -hmm. a person has made an error. So there's like... um, they're, obviously, they have to fill out the, the necessary reports, and so that sort of line of inquiry is in place. But I think what's even more harmful is sort of the informal, where people whisper in hallways or that that person feels like their their reputation has been harmed. But if if, the, if a provider has made an error and you're a colleague of that provider and they are open with you and tell you something has happened, yeah, there are a lot of things that you can do to, to help
0: them at that moment. Okay. What about the organization that people work for? Do they have any mechanisms or things in place to help people that actually suffer from second victim?
2: I think a lot of organizations are moving in the direction of implementing uh, procedures and policies related to, to that. Um, we're not where all organizations are, but we've met, I think there have been a lot of strides in the past decade. Um, a, a decade ago, I think you would have seen very few facilities actually uh they They still had that that uh, mentality to blame the mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. and now they're they're realizing that there's a lot of uh system problems that are that are almost creating an environment where error is it's impossible not to make errors, so I think they're moving away from that and they are implementing uh things uh to help the second victim, and I think you really should almost assume that anyone who makes an error is a potential second victim, and implement those things that can be done with them. Uh, one research article I read that said that it's estimated that one half of all healthcare providers experience the impact of the second victim during their professional career. And I mean, if you think of that, half of all healthcare providers—that is a lot.
0: Of That's a lot of people. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. Um, do you have some kind of an example? I know there has, there's been a couple of what do I want to say, like well-known cases out there, but maybe some kind of a case study that deals with infusion therapy that you could kind of fill us in on. Maybe your, some research you did with it, how it worked into your research, anything like that. Um, well,
1: I guess with our with our early research. One of the first things we did was ask uh all the the nurses in our state if they'd ever made a medication error mm-hmm. so we we have data that that's it's an account basically what they've told us um sometimes they remember errors that happened years ago very vividly and it's it's still fresh in their memory with our our more recent uh research we were asking about nurses' mistakes who were nurses who were relatively new who had graduated okay. in
2: the last five years. And, and I, I have a quote I'd like to read to you. Now, uh, if you don't mind. It,
0: oh, no, sure.
2: Had a poor reaction. He dropped his blood pressure dangerously low and required an increase in the amount of his dopamine infusion and a fluid bolus. He also verbally expressed how poorly he was feeling. I felt awful. My preceptor and I quickly corrected the problem, but I had to walk away from his bedside. Mm. I went to the bathroom and vomited. I remember crying all the way home during my drive. All I could think about was how that one brief lapse in judgment and concentration, and I could have killed my patient. I was also really nervous at work for years afterward. I'm better now, but even typing this is making me anxious again perfect example of second of
0: phenomenon. That's, uh, yeah, very amazing. It would be very hard to trust yourself again and and be able to go back into work and face, you know, not only your supervisor but the people you work with on a daily basis. Yeah. Absolutely. So the other research you've done is that basically what we're looking at is is finding out how it's affecting nurses and in that sense then we can find out how to help
1: right so uh, unless you identify what's going on you can't really come up with uh,
0: solutions to to problems so okay and this it, it isn't found only in hospital settings am i correct with that can it be like in any kind of a care setting
1: it can be in any kind of a care setting um you can have infusion errors in you know in a, a home health setting
0: mm-hmm.
1: um in a clinic or you know in a hospital The majority of the people that we've queried, though, do work in hospitals.
0: And um, I was looking, too, at some of the – there's a lot of websites out there that are are dedicated to the second victim and having conversations and blogs and things like that, the American Nurses Association, Culture of Safety – is one thing I can think of. Uh, they also talk about rapid response teams. And when I think rapid response, I think of a patient crashing, and we call the rapid response team, and they come in and do their magic, and off we go. How does that work with uh, second victims?
1: Um, well, at Johns Hopkins Hospital, after the the death of Josie King, they the the toddler who had sustained burns in a bathtub, and then became dehydrated while she was in, one, you know, one of the best health facilities, Johns Hopkins. Um, nobody would really listen to the mother's explanation that their, her child wasn't quite right. And so she ultimately coded and died. And so after that incident, they in, in, initiated a rapid response team for care caregivers who, you know, anytime they saw something that could be problematic, they could uh, initi- uh, immediately get help. Mm-hmm. So that same kind of concept then has been applied to nurses and other caregivers who make mistakes. So it is a it is a rapid uh, response team in the fact that if a, if someone makes an error, trained um, support people will come to that person and provide them, uh, you know, counseling and just like listen to their fears and provide support right away.
0: Okay, so we are seeing that there is some some help there that's more accepted, too. That was the other thing I was thinking, too, is is as you mentioned, back in the day, people would kind of talk behind each other's backs, and, and maybe now it's becoming a little more acceptable, and um, you understand you have to reach out to each other in order to work through some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, because, you know, it could happen to you at any time.
2: And there does have to be essentially kind of a balance. Because you don't ever want anyone to take a laissez-faire attitude toward medication administration. So, so acknowledging that there are second victims and wanting to help them, there really is kind of a balance. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know where the line is, but I, but I do. Uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge that this isn't in any way trying to minimize the desire of nurses to always, always deliver the medication safely, appropriately, 100% correctly, uh, but just acknowledging that that errors do happen, that you are human, and then do what you can to help that person because they they're going to suffer.
0: Right, and instead of the blame type of atmosphere that we're looking at, what the situation was or what other things were in place that may have contributed to this error occurring.
1: Right. Right. So the the caregiver needs support and
0: care, too. Excellent. Um, Do you have any other resources or references that our listeners could check into if they know of someone or they themselves are experiencing the second victim syndrome?
1: Well, you know, as you mentioned, the uh, ANA's culture uh, of safety focus has has been a really good Sorts of information, and then um, the article by Cheryl Connors, who um, is at also at Johns Hopkins, uh, has what to do, do's and don'ts for helping people who have, you know, made that error. How can you be a good peer and really support someone?
0: I'll make sure that we uh, put a link on our show notes that that mention that as well. It sounds like a, a, a really good thing that we at least are acknowledging and being supportive of people rather than kind of shunning them and, and making their life even harder at this point. Do you ladies have anything else that we need to, to bring up?
2: One of the things that Linda and I uh, are trying to research at present, we've done one small study but realized that we need to do more, is what role does nursing education play in preventing the second victim. I mean we certainly incorporate all the safety uh things about how to and, and teach our students skills and uh knowledge about how to administer medications, but we're trying to sort of look at it as is there is that enough? Is there mm-hmm. something else we need to do? Um and that's one of our current research uh, projects that we're doing.
0: So definitely with the nursing education. And and are you talking more like within uh the 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 college setting, the academia setting, or when people are actually in the workforce? Or is it both of them a combination?
2: At present we're really looking at the academic setting. Okay. Uh for you know, this is where it starts and I I personally think there may be a role uh but that's we, they have to be defined uh, and that's what we're trying to move toward. Uh, what we've also come to realize is that uh, second, with second victims, truly really there, there are a trail of victims because mm. other people suffer. The organization suffers because uh, nurse turnover increases and ter- nurse turnover is very, very expensive. A lot of RNs that are licensed are not working, and certainly there are many, many reasons for that, but it does beg the question how many of them were second victims and are not working, such as the two cases we gave, Julie Thao and and Kimberly Hyatt. Um, How many are not working because of something that occurred that was so very hurtful to them? And then, of course, society, because it's been determined that uh, adequate RN staffing reduces mortality, morbidity... Mm -hmm. Um, so, so ultimately, there's just a whole trail of victims when something like this happens.
0: So, and and by you saying that, it it kind of uh, triggered with me the the recovery portion of this. Um, that a lot of I don't know, do a lot of people actually leave nursing practice because they they just can't deal with that idea or knowledge that what they do, a mistake, could really harm someone. Do they leave nursing? Do they try to stay in nursing and get better? What do they? What is usually done?
1: You know that is a, a really good question. I don't know if we know the extent of, of of how many nurses have actually left nursing because they've made an error. You know, I, I that might be an interesting research question mm-hmm. to ask. Um, we know from our, our research that. After people have made an error, they sometimes they will consider it. They'll say, mm-hmm. "I considered leaving nursing, but then I decided I would just, you know, be more vigilant and more careful." And so we did hear that the comment that I considered leaving nursing on several of our from several of our respondents. Although then they developed like a strategy of usually it's like a a more vigilance against making errors. It's more like I. I resolved that I would always follow the five rights, I would mm-hmm. never be distracted again, I would always, you know, make sure I verified everything myself. So they would reiterate these these strategies so that they wouldn't make errors again. But I don't think we know how many people have actually left nursing altogether because mm-hmm. they've made an error and felt very victimized by that. But I would suggest there probably are some. And, and you know, we do have so many nurses who aren't actually working employed as nurses, and so why are they, I think, probably technological feeling incompetent over technology might be a big one. So then, if you're incompetent with technology, that can lead to errors, and often this could be
0: medication errors, infusion, uh, probably be very high on that risk. And I was also thinking on the other side of that with some of the newer graduates, the newer nurses that are are coming about these days, that they, I don't know, rely more heavily on technology and perhaps think that that will shield them from making errors when that actually could be a problem.
1: And, yeah, and I think that happens with, with, you know, across fields. And people rely on technology and alarms and and thinking that's going to protect protect them from error and so we, we put these things in place but then when we become sort of numb to the fact that there could actually be errors and we're not seeing that because we expect the alarm light to go on where mm-hmm. we expect this to be right it's been you know it's been scanned with the barcode. so i think that kind of crosses
0: fields but particularly in a high stakes area like medicine and nursing um, and so, some nurses too, with on their road to recovery, if you will, to actually take the situation and, as you said, make a better thing of it. They become more vigilant and and, and well, I don't want to say improve their practice, but they're just more aware of what they're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a wake up call.
0: Yeah. And a
1: near miss is like a wake up call for some because they'll we've asked, asked about you know errors and then people have told us about errors that almost happen heard about some real serious ones, and then we've heard about some that, that we didn't consider to be that serious at all, but sometimes that's what it takes um, to really kick somebody's, um, I don't know, awareness that they could have made a big mistake, they could have killed their patient, or they could have just given them the wrong medication, something that might not have made any difference, but that it it kind of challenges your self-concept mm-hmm. of being perfect. Maybe.
0: And not making those mistakes. Anybody can do it. Um, We each start our day, you know, not planning on anything like that to happen, adverse events and and medication errors, but it certainly can happen. And because infusion therapy is a higher-risk practice, we're going to see those things maybe occur more often than they would anywhere else. Um, Anything else we can add to today's conversation? Um, We could add
2: the five rights of, uh, of second victims. And this is from an article by Denham in 2007. Uh, what they should be, what they—it's it, the trust acronym—and this is what they have the right to expect: uh, treatment that is just, respect. The third thing is understanding and compassion. Four is supporting care. And five is transparency and the opportunity to contribute. And that fifth one is the one you were talking about earlier in terms of are they allowed the opportunity to find out what happened? Uh, they this is where they really get to participate in 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 sort of understanding what did happen, all the variables that contributed to the error, and how to resolve it for uh, in the future.
0: Okay, excellent. Preventing from
2: happening in the future.
0: Excellent. So definitely the the environment is changing around um, how people are being viewed when an error is made.
2: Yeah, and probably as little as a decade ago, um, I think it was, what journal was it? Nursing, like 2000, I've forgotten. But they did a study and they, they, they published it in the journal and then nurses had the ability to respond. And they were asked what they thought of nurses who made error. And and uh, a large percentage of them indicated that they thought the nurse was incompetent if she made an error. Unfortunately, they repeated the survey five years later, and just as many thought that it meant that the nurse was incompetent. Really? So attitudes are slow to change, uh, but I do think they're moving in that direction.
0: Oh, that's wonderful, and I'm sure... The research that the both of you are doing and the studying that's being done with it is definitely contributing to that. So research is so important to our nursing field in so many different areas, and uh, we really have to thank you for that and and to keep those research studies and things coming for us. We love it. (laughs) Lynn and
2: I both are very passionate about our research. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, You know, we have a a very uh, well-established school of nursing at Kennesaw, and so the research that we do helps inform the, what what's being taught, and so if that informs practice.
0: Excellent. Very good. Well, ladies, both of you, thank you so much for um, speaking with me today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the INS Podcast. If you'd like more information about the presenters today, or the topic of second victims of infusion therapy-related adverse events, please check out our show notes, which are available in the INS Learning Center. Again, thanks for joining us.